Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. So uh, we're drinking some beers, and why? We are celebrating this very episode. It's a pretty big episode. It's a huge episode. It's out of this world. You know, the the whole time that we were talking to Chris, I felt like he was really down to earth. (laughs) Do you guys see how hard I'm not laughing right now? You're not laughing? No, let's not. Real hard. Yeah, real hard. Let's not go there with this. Smoke uh, if you got him. We, uh, we were in Toronto. We went, to our, our, uh, we went to our friend Chris Hadfield's house. Actually, it wasn't his house. It was his office, which was in a house. Lovely little space. Mm. And uh, we got to meet his dog. Oh, his dog was great. And we got to talk about, uh, talk about some fun stuff. If you're, actually, if you're just tuning in to Sick Boy for the first time, let me introduce myself. My name is Jeremy. My name's Taylor. And I am Brian. And if you're joining us and you have been joining us from the beginning, hi, everybody. Hey. Uh, but we are a podcast where we like to sit down and talk about diseases and illness and, and just overall health, but from a bit of a different light. We try to find humor within those, those, uh, those worlds. Yeah, and we don't, we don't make fun of illnesses, but we laugh at some of the funny experiences some, that, yeah, that come with them. Sometimes I make fun of my illness, which is cystic fibrosis. Yeah, well, that's not, that's not our business because Taylor and I, we're, we're healthy. <laughs> my, but, my, my illness is absolute perfect health. Uh, you know what your illness is, Taylor? Really, really subpar facial hair. <laughs> and hairy feet, though. Dude, that's where the hair is. It's Johnny Depp esque. Yeah, okay. It's anyway, it's anyway, defined. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, so we decided uh, to, to reach out to astronaut Chris Hadfield to talk about health in a bit of a different light uh, health surrounding space. So, how space affects the human body. And oh, does it affect it in so many ways. So, so many ways. So, sit back. Relax and enjoy a nice little conversation in T minus five. Oh, for the love four, of God! Launching no, three. Stop it. This two, is major time. One. To okay. Stop. 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 <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Can you airdrop He's me? Yeah, there's a there's an animal looking to poop in the backyard. Dude, looking looking for a place to poop. Oh, he found it. Oh, that's weird that you guys are looking at that. Oh, look, he's kicking up the grass. He's kicking up the grass. What are we doing today, gentlemen? Well, Albert's in the backyard. Is he? Is that your dog? Uh, yeah, it's my wife and my dog. Yeah. This. Albert, he's out defending the earth. Yeah. Where, where do you have me sitting? Uh, you're going to sit right here. Check, 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 check. 
Um, so, so it's a podcast. It's uh, a podcast. It's called Sick Boy Podcast. Essentially, we talk to generally we talk to people who live with uh, disease or illness. <clears throat> yep. Um, and the idea behind it is to uh, find humor and levity in in a situation that most most of the time people would look at as quite dark, right? Sure. Um, so it stemmed from I have cystic fibrosis. Yeah. I joke around with these guys about CF all the time. We started this podcast and it started to quickly pick up momentum. Yeah, I've seen some pictures of her, yeah. her a little while ago when yeah. you started on it. Yeah. So, um, and then we we had this idea of of talking about um, you know talking to medical professionals or other people in the in the health world. You need a little bit more. Uh, turn my relative. Oh, yeah, there you go. Me? yeah there do go. your thing. Great, much better. Um, and then I was we thought sickness is making you loud. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the theater training. That's, yeah, that's the that's the acting training, and, yeah. and probably the, the coughing as well. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. we kind of <laughs> where, where are you living? Uh, Halifax. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. We kind of we kind of have three uh, stages or phases that we want to go through. What kind of what preparation is like before yeah. you go to space? What it's like in space, and then what it's like when you return. Recovery. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, chronologically logical. Yeah, got it. We try to be that way, but it doesn't always <laughs> work. Out. Sometimes, sometimes it goes off the rails. <laughs> That's fine, no problem. Um, so do space flights. Whenever, <laughs> like, we are good to go. Whenever you're ready, we've kind of been. Uh, Everybody with uh, recording this video recording are you guys devices is all happy. Yeah. You guys are all good. Yeah, we don't really nice have a, a technical Brad. start. We kind of just roll you're right good? into okay. it. Julie is just going to keep walking through to improve how it's all going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, cool. So. Hi, Chris. <laughs> hey guys, how are you? Very good. Uh, very, very good. If, if anybody doesn't know already who's listening, we are sitting down today with a retired astronaut, Canadian astronaut, Chris Hadfield. Uh, been to space three, three times. times. Three times. Yeah, three times. Crazy. Before that, you were, I guess, technically, are you still an, an engineer? You're considered an engineer? Yeah, I, I uh, trained as an engineer and a pilot. I'm still a pilot. And yeah. I, I was a fighter pilot in the F-18s, and I was a test pilot uh, Flying a lot of different airplanes, and yeah, I'm still doing a lot of those things. Still, uh, still doing some flying and, and playing some guitar, and Sweet. Uh, and uh, really we saw, talking and teaching about spaceflight all over the world. We saw your guitar up here. Is this the the guitar? <laughs> oh, I got lots of guitars. <laughs> now, the guitar that's on this that I played on the space station is still there. It, it stays oh, permanently. Sweet. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the theme of health for mental health, uh, music's. You know, kind of important for everybody on Earth, and it doesn't suddenly stop being important when you go to space. And so, the the psychiatrist put that guitar on the space station, and it's it's permanently up there. Are there, are there quite a few yeah. like musically talented astronauts? Oh yeah, that guitar gets played every day up there. There's six yeah. people, and there's normally someone plays a little guitar. And yeah, there's there's astronauts who are concert flautists and uh, cello players and saxophone player. I played in an astronaut band for 20 years. Oh, no, <laughs> that's, awesome. that's so yeah, cool. Kind of fun. Yeah. It, do they, do, is the guitar the only instrument that's made it up there, or have they... Uh, there have been temporarily other guitar, or other instruments up there. A lady brought up uh, uh, an ancient flute, actually, from the 1800s, and one from the Chieftains, she brought up. And then there as, was... As, as, you, <laughs> as you do. As you do. As you there do. was like a battery-powered uh, keyboard up there, which is terrible to play. And then uh, someone brought a little tiny saxophone once, and uh, I think there's a ukulele up there now as oh, well. Oh, cool. There, there's... There's generally more call for guitar than ukulele. On the yeah. on the on the musical note, before we dive into the health stuff, does sound travel similarly 
in the uh, in the space station as it does I, here. I, uh, I feel like I know, gonna, I know, I know. I know. I just want to say I feel like we are gonna have, we are gonna right. have so many questions that have nothing to do with I see, space. I see now the uh, the chronological plan is completely <laughs> got out the window. But the answer is. Uh, uh, on the outside of the spaceship, of course, it is permanently, absolutely deadly silent. Right. Imagine <clears throat> how loud the sun would be if you could hear it. You know, it's, oh, a, it's a million ooh. thermonuclear explosions constantly, you know. Um, so it's dead silent on the outside. But in the inside, it's, it's like maybe being in a submarine or the back of a bus or something. It's kind of noisy, sound travels. Sure. Yeah. The cool transition between the two is when you sit quiet for a minute in one of the places where, you're, where it's a little bit quieter, you can hear little meteorites hit the outside of the spaceship. No way! Whoa. Like a ricochet. It's kind of like you know? ra- kind of like rain on a tin roof, or yeah, like but one <laughs> more like one little piece of <laughs> one hail. bullet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. one <laughs> bullet at a time. One piece of hail. Extremely going dangerous. Thirty kilometers a second. <laughs> I don't even understand that speed. <laughs> so let's let's uh, take it to the uh, the chronological order. Well, yeah. Before we yeah. get into the chronological, I, I think I think the, the oh, thing oh, that God. brought us Come to on. this point was. Was this idea that that you know microgravity is that the correct term, Chris? Microgravity, or well, I, well you know, uh, people say you're weightless when you're on a spaceship. But if you think about it, of course, uh, the Earth's gravity is still pulling you to keep you in orbit, mm-hmm. and the Moon is pulling you slightly towards the Moon, right. and the Sun is pulling you slightly towards the Sun. So they might be in some sort of balance, and but the solar not... system to the galaxy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's not like it's perfectly weightless. There, there's little tiny bits uh, or, or amounts of gravity pulling. And Ooh. they change as you move around. Right. And it, you know, if you go like a millimeter is a thousandth, and a, and a micro is is a millionth or whatever, you get down to tiny little numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and so we say micro gravity. It's kind of a silly term. All it means is almost no gravity. Almost right? no gravity. And and, yeah. and this this concept of micro gravity, it it tends to wreak havoc on the human body. Correct. When you're up there for an extended period of time. Uh, can you can you run us through like what it is that it does sure. to the body? Yeah, if you look at a jellyfish, it's designed to be suspended by water, and, and it doesn't have a spine. It doesn't have uh, you know a big exoskeleton. And, and if you bring a jellyfish up and drop it on a sidewalk, it's useless. I mean, it can't handle not being in the environment that it was adapted to, that it was mm-hmm. evolved into. Mm-hmm. We as human beings would be just as helpless if we drop, got dropped into the jellyfish's environment. Within a minute or two, we'd be dead from, from not a, able to breathe. We are designed for being out here in the air under the Earth's gravity. That's why our, our backbones are the way they are. It's how our heart is optimized for pumping blood. It's, it's uh, how, how it squeezes. You can stand straight up, you know, uh, two meters tall, and your heart can pump the blood like a little conveyor belt all the way up to your head. All of that stuff, your balance system, it all assumes, just like a jellyfish, that you're going to stay in the environment you were evolved for. As soon as you get to space, you're like a jellyfish on a sidewalk. So <laughs> you're there, yeah. and, and now everything changed. There's no gravity, so there's no up. Your, it's bal- like, your balance system is shot. It doesn't know what to do without gravity. It's like in the movie uh, WALL-E. Have you seen it? <laughs> I haven't seen Wally. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't should, seen should it. Should I say Wally? It's, it's you a, should definitely it's see really it. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Everybody in the room's looking at me going, he hasn't <laughs> seen Wally? Who what is that hell? guy? What the hell is this? It's, that's great. You should check it out. We don't need to get into it right now, but no, yeah. let's it's, take it's, four or five minutes to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the thing about, on, about you saying that the blood, you know, we're, we're optimized for our heart for us to stand up tall and our, the 
our heart to be able to pump blood up to yeah. our heads. Um, I saw this thing. I was looking on Wikipedia the, <laughs> the ah, other day of like the effects of uh, space on the body. Yeah. And it showed this little graph basically explaining how like the top half of an astronaut's body in space almost like bloats a tiny bit. Well, yeah, if um, we, uh, we draw blood regularly. I don't know if you ever looked at the big veins in your arm, but they've got like little one-way valves in them. Uh, that and and the purpose of a lot of those is to keep the blood from going the other direction. Or once the blood gets far enough along in your body, it's got like these little check valves that keep it going. And if you think about it in your legs, how does your heart, which is way up here in your chest, squeeze the blood all the way up from your feet to your head? And it's like some gigantic balloon. Right. And so you've got all these little systems that are their whole purpose is to try and and milk the blood up to your head. And, and those work great on Earth because gravity's doing the opposite. It's yeah. trying to flush it down to your feet. As soon as you get to weightlessness, your body doesn't know it's there. So it's like working away, squeezing the blood up to your head, but there's no gravity pushing it down to your right. feet. So your legs get skinnier and skinnier and skinnier and your head and your chest starts swelling up and your cheeks puff up and your sinuses fill up and your tongue gets swollen. Is this a slow process or is it, is it almost kind of... Uh, immediate, like once you're uh, up there, it's it's sort of like uh, laying head down in a bed. Yeah, you know, okay. it's like it's not like completely standing on your head. But if you get in your bed and you, you raise the foot of the bed, you know, higher than normal, you'll feel after a while you're starting to get congested and, and you don't feel right because the blood is is more uh, collecting in your head than, mm-hmm. than it would rather. And it, but the trouble in space is it's permanent. You're never getting anything to sling it back down to your feet, and so. Uh, what, what your body eventually does is it says, you know, there's too much blood in your head and your chest. And so it just decreases the amount of overall blood in your Ooh, body because yeah. you're not pooling as much in your legs. So you, uh, you just lose blood volume. Like I forget the number, 15 or 20% of the blood volume. Whoa. Okay. So you lose blood volume. And I've also heard that uh, your, bone, you kind of, your bones deteriorate at a really fast rate. Is that... Well, uh, just just when we're talking blood volume, think about though. If you had twenty percent less blood, think what happens if you have a beer up there. Is there beer on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there isn't. How, but we think about work? it. <laughs> it's just you got less blood, to, so, you know, to, to blend it into. But okay, back to the subject, bones. Um, <laughs> so you, it is the ultimate laziness to be in weightlessness. You, you literally don't have to lift a finger mm. ever. I was in a float tank the other day for the first time at the, at the flotation <laughs> center. Maybe in like that, but you still have to push your chest against gravity. And, yeah, right. Yeah, but right. It's perfectly suspended up there. You don't have to hold your head up. God, you know? so Does breathing good. feel a lot more free? So um, or is that well, a- if you lie on your back and breathe, it's different than breathing standing straight up, just sure. because of the geometry and the mass of, of all the bits of your chest and lungs and everything. And so you feel sort of like like some unseen hand is gently drawing you towards the ceiling all the time because we're used to an unseen hand squishing us into the floor. Right. And as soon as it's gone, it's not like you feel weightless. You actually sort of feel like you're getting sucked up, up, up into the sky a little. And that's everything, including your breathing, feels that way. Yeah. Um, wow. But your bones are, are constantly being adjusted by your body. You're, you know, if you break your arm, your body goes to work right away fixing that break, right? Mm-hmm. Think of all the little microscopic things that it knows what to do to build bone. Well, you don't have to break a bone for your body to build bone. If, if you go to the gym or if you go for a walk or go for a run or jump up and down, or the opposite, if you lie in a sensory deprivation mm-hmm. tank or mm-hmm. you go to space, your body's going, 
he doesn't need any bone today. He's yeah. he's he's uh, strong enough for the environment yeah, that he's in. That's what happens in Wally. You should watch it. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna. It's on my yeah. list now. Um, so uh, so your body just stops building bone, and the, there are some of your bone. You know, look at the bone in your baby finger. It, it's it's kind of whatever it is. It's it's if you exercise it, but obviously it's sort of in stasis. But if you look at the bones that hold you up, you know, the, especially your hip. Bone and, and your upper femur, yeah. the upper part of your leg, they do a lot of work all the time. Just us sitting here, yeah. they're doing work right. to support all the musculature. And it, when you stand and walk around, you're constantly putting a gravity-driven uh, exercise program uh, of asymmetric loads onto your skeleton all the time without even having to do anything on Earth. All of that immediately goes away the second the engine shut off in space, and you never... Uh, unless you deliberately do it, deliberately do it, you never exercise your skeleton again, and so your body just stops building it, and so you start to get osteoporosis. You start to lose your skeleton really badly. Wow! Like how quickly so is it? Fast. How quickly like, is it well, happening? You guys are only up there for like six months. What's interesting is we, we <laughs> only six months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, how long was Wally up there? <laughs> um, so the the interesting thing is, of course, the doctors want to know all about how the body works, and this is a great way to study mm. the body. So they take you know urine samples the first time we pee in space. Intriguingly, the first time we pee in space, it's full of our skeleton already. That sounds you, so yeah. painful, Chris. <laughs> that <laughs> that sounds tiny awful. <laughs> but it's, it's full of the calcium and minerals of your skeleton. Right. Almost immediately, your body starts um, shedding those. And, and, and if you don't do anything, you'll rapidly lose uh, all of your skeleton, especially the parts that you would normally build on a regular basis. And in my case... I was in space for a little under six months, five and a bit, mm. and I lost about eight percent of the bone across my hips and my Whoa. upper legs, wow. which is makes them very fragile. Now, makes, makes them very prone to fracture. And we've had two astronauts within six months of getting back who have just tripped and fallen or whatever and, which, broke. and broken their hips. No way. Wow. Yeah, which normally you know your, your body would have made the bones dense enough that they wouldn't break. What about Scott Kelly? Because he was just up there for what like a year? Yeah, something he, crazy he, like that. He and uh, Misha Kornienko, uh, uh, a cosmonaut, were up for a year. There have been lots of cosmonauts up for a year. Okay, and. The, the, some of the things in your body, when you're talking the medical impacts of weightlessness, they sort of stabilize after about a month, you know, your blood chemistry and stuff. You've sort of gotten parts of your body have said, okay, I've made all the changes I can. This is the new you in space. But your bones, can, especially the weight bearing, continue to deteriorate. And I lost on the order of a percent and a half a month. And then we don't know how to beat that yet. And so staying longer just means you lose more. So is there a way to... Like prepare for that beforehand. Is there a specific training that yeah, you do? Yeah, like the they're, groundwork. They're, we're learning, and we're trying. We're, there are some specific uh, uh, chemical and and uh, diet kind of protocols that on Earth have an effect on your blo- on your bone density. It's like there's a this, thousand this, gallons of milk a week. <laughs> well, <laughs> all the milk. That's hard to bring up to speed. But we, you know, there's bisphosphonates and a bunch of different things people have tried, or of course, just a lot of vitamin D and, and as you say, milk. Yeah. Um, but it's not a supply problem 
up there. It's not like your body is short on the raw materials to yeah. build born bone. It's short on the need to build bone. So what we do is we have to exercise. You have to exercise. So we've built better and better uh, exercise equipment up there they- to try and load up the main structure of the body. And so we have an exercise bicycle for cardiovascular. We have a treadmill, which helps some. But of course, you're just held down by bungees. So it's not the same as slamming into a sidewalk as you run. The third one is a big resistive exercise machine, and um, and it's the one that does the best for bone. But still, it, it, it's the best we've ever had. We're doing better now than we used to, but it, it's not. I wonder perfect. what like a heavy bag would do up there. You know, if you're like kicking a bag or like, is that? Well, I'll, is see, that... in order to to use a heavy bag, you have to be able to brace your body. Ah, of course. Right. And, and you count on. I mean, try and hit a heavy bag in a swimming pool. It's sort of like that. Right. You can't. <laughs> Doesn't work, right? You, you need. You're assuming your feet are firmly planted on the floor, and and we're always looking for something that takes up as little space, has as little mass, but still gives maximum body exercise as possible. So we have this thing. It's funny. We have this. We used to be called the exercise device, and then it got modified, became the resistive exercise device, and then it was the IRED improved resistive exercise device, and now it's the ARED advanced resistive, <laughs> exercise. and it's getting better and better and better. It'll but be we, epic. We, we like. Yeah, we, we need time. the E red. That's yeah. I like I like how when Jeremy said the the heavy bag, he said it as if nobody would have ever thought of that. What if, <laughs> why don't they just? Yo, yeah, Guys, I got the answer. I know. Why don't you just tie bags around uh, strings and attach them to your feet? Plus, uh, heavy bag and weightlessness does sound a little. Uh, yeah. Unlike. So uh, what's the like? What's the what's the training leading up to a launch like what are you going through so in order to prepare of course we try and get our bones as dense as possible and but also uh, for the scientists and doctors they want to know exactly what state your body's in so that then they can measure the changes and, and see what spaceflight does so we we go through more tests than you guys would imagine Ooh. right down to doing core samples of our muscle you know where they go drill 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 and pull out a little Whoa. core Whoa. sample of your calf so that they can oh. see all the balance of the different types of muscle fibers um, and, and all sorts of uh, external uh, measurements and such just to try and see exactly what state you're in. And we go through, of course, a whole exercise protocol and get used to using all the equipment. And then on board, same thing. Take urine samples and, uh, and strength testing and exercise every day. And then you go through the reverse of it all when you get back. And then on top of that, all the science experiments that you guys are doing up there, like you, you, how, how much time, how much time do you have? How do you play? How do you shoot? How do you shoot a music video in space, Chris? How do you have time to record an album in space? Like, uh, how so, much time do you have uh, none, to yourself? None. none. But they give you time to sleep, and so I would always steal a couple hours of sleep every day because that was that was time that wasn't dictated by somebody externally. But the way it works is you wake up in the morning, the alarm, your watch alarm goes off at six a.m. and your time. Wait, wait, what? Six a.m. What time? Like, yeah, hold well, on, hold on. Choose, what six a.m. in space? We, we chose we global chose, time. Well, we chose London time actually. Oh, okay. Greenwich time. It's actually called Universal Coordinated Time, which seems a little arrogant. I was going to say that's big. Headed. And they made that up. <laughs> I, I don't think we told anybody else in the universe yet, but um, but we go on Universal Coordinated Time, and so when the Queen gets up, you know, we get up, Ooh. and and. Um, and then you look on a computer screen and it lists your schedule down to five minute increments for that day and every single day of the six months that you're up there. They tell you what you're doing every five minutes and, you know, eat, go to the bathroom, shower, exercise, run this experiment, fix this thing, do this spacewalk, talk to whoever. It's all dictated. And the only free time you get is if you get ahead of schedule or when it gets to the point that says sleep. 
and then there's a blank spot. And so I would try to do all the fun stuff and the interesting stuff, play music and, and when, when I was supposed to be asleep. Yeah. How much time is allotted for sleep? Seven and a half hours a night. Depending. Oh, oh. Jeremy was way off. We were yeah, talking why? about this right before we came here. Jer- Jeremy goes, I think that he sleeps like two hours a night. <laughs> no, I didn't say two hours. But I, I did hear you say in a, in a previous interview one time that you got some, some people were pulling like three or, or four hours a yeah, night. And I, I normally got about five a night because that gave me time to do stuff. But then right. I, I, well, yeah, I, I could sustain that for a while, but then I'd crump yeah, after a while. Because I was going to say three hours, like that's straight but, up depre- like sleep uh, deprivation. Yeah, like it gets hard on you. But at lunch, uh, also most of, a lot of our activities are mental and, and your brain uses a lot of energy, of course. Mm. But at lunch, we, we'd get like 30 minutes on the schedule for lunch. So maybe one lunch a week, I would just grab something quick and then go into my quarters and have a 15 minute nap and recharge my batteries. Right. And that, that helped me a lot. Yeah, Mentally, you, you know, I guess it probably helps having such a such a hardcore strict schedule. But um, let's talk about. I've read this thing called the overview effect. Uh-huh. Can you can you describe what that what that effect is, and is it something that you've gone through? Yeah, the overview effect is, is not a is not a concrete thing. It, it was okay. it was someone who's never flown in space trying to. Uh, having listened to several astronauts uh, describe what the experience meant to them, he, they were trying to categorize it as as a discrete thing. And of course, it's really tough to do. It's like, it's like I don't know. Um, He's throwing getting, a blanket over. Well, over. sort of. Yeah. Get tell me what you think of, of the most beautiful sunrise you ever saw in your life, and, and then I'm going to give it a name. You know. Well, right. okay, but that really doesn't help sure. you know, or what what goes through your head electrically when you see i don't know the sistine chapel or the mona lisa or listen to the 1812 overture or something you know what mm-hmm. it, it there's there's a whole um mix of psychology and raw emotion and and uh and awe and wonder that goes on in your head when those things are happening and to just put one little short name on it it doesn't do it justice however uh the fundamental idea is that uh, your perspective on the world is permanently changed when you go around it a thousand times. When you see it from above as one discrete place in 90 minutes. When you see the mm. whole world in 90 minutes and then you see it again and again and again. Mm. Your fundamental perspective of what the world is and your place in it naturally starts to shift. And How has your perspective shifted? Uh, uh, speaking of another movie besides Wally, I don't know if you've seen the new movie Room, but the whole idea of Room is this: this lady gets abducted, put into a little shed in someone's backyard, and then she gets pregnant and, um, and has a kid and raises that kid in this little shed in someone's backyard with just a skylight. And to that kid, that is the whole world. Ooh, right? That Ooh. is the world. That skylight is the world and the universe, and the room that they're in is the entire planet. Ooh. And, 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 and it's a good story. Eventually, you know, they break out. But then, of course, breaking out of the room doesn't suddenly solve all their problems either. Mm-hmm, right. um, and the room that, they, that he was raised in just gets incrementally bigger as he becomes more aware of the world. For an astronaut, uh, the room is the whole planet. Mm. And, and that's the big difference. Because all of us are essentially raised in some slightly increased uh, version of that kid's room. Really, you know, you think you understand the world, but really, it's just the the little part of it that you've had a chance to directly see in the little bit of the sky. Mm-hmm. We, as as space explorers, um, actually get separated from the planet and see it as, as a distinct, separate place, as one discrete, uh, complete place. Like your shirt, the world is a small town. Um, and and you see it that way, mm-hmm. and and that then, of course, when you return to it. 
Um, you have a permanent shift in, in the shared nature of the human experience, in the age of the planet and, and the little fragment of time that we've been here, and in, the, in both the increase of our level of importance and responsibility, but also a great decrease in our level of importance from, from, a, from a world perspective. Yeah, I, like it, it, just taking a second to think about that, I feel like there's so much, there's, yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> mind-blowing. It could be simultaneously the most inspirational uh, you know, f- feeling, yet at the same time the, this, you have this feeling of like resignation from... It's actually the first and not the second okay. at all. It is, a, it is, you come back from it... Um, in eternally optimistic. Right. You, you see, it's really hard to describe to anybody else the age of the world. You know, four and a half billion is an inconceivably huge number. Six, you, I thought it was 6,000. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the reason a lot of people believe that is because they just, they just can't, can't handle four and a half billion. Yeah. It, it just, it, it's, it, it's such a huge number that it's meaningless and people don't want meaninglessness. Right. They, they want meaning. And, and, and in your normal, you know, we only have 10 fingers and our number system is based on 10 and anything bigger than about a thousand, it's almost impossible right. to visualize. It becomes imperceivable. You're, and and for, for a lot of us, what's the difference between a million and a billion? I don't know. An extra yeah. zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right, well, exactly. three. And, and what's, what's <laughs> the difference? <laughs> I'm here like, yeah, dude. Exactly. <laughs> no, but what's, the, that what's the difference between one billion and two billion? In my mind, it's like one. Yeah. But it's not. It's a billion. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and the earth, it, it, you know, and the universe had been here nine billion years before the earth even started forming. And, the the almost uh, completely unimaginable immensity of time is, is something you also get, I think, mm. orbiting the world. You start to see the self-repairing nature of the world, the ancient scars, the scars mm. from a billion years ago. And, and that um, eternity uh, also, I think, you get a sense of, of grace and, and peace and tranquility from that. It, that, yeah, there's a bunch of squabbling. Everyone's all excited about what one person said to another this particular week somewhere here on Earth. And yeah, there's this little uh, tiff going on. It starts to resemble a daycare center sometimes, right. the surface of the Earth. But that's okay. That's who we are. There's, yeah. you know, it's really important. And that, but, but the sense of, of eternity and, and patience of the world itself gets right into your soul and that that's a lovely state of grace. Do you think that there's any way to can <clears throat> to even begin to convey that to on a on a grand scale well, to the I definitely, people of the earth? I I, th- I know how to begin and that's like write books and yeah. give talks and write music and to me that that's all my effort. Uh, I mean, my first book is an astronaut's guide to life on earth because I'm trying to really answer those questions. Mm-hmm. What when you've seen the world uh, from the amazingly lucky perspective that I have, so what? what? What do you do with that information? Where does it take you? What, what, how should you modify your own behavior to become aware of that? And, mm-hmm. or, or maybe you know, if you know someone who's been to the moon, how, how does that act of, of self-awareness, how does it influence your own choices in life? And, and so to me, the best I can do is go uh, speak in a thousand schools, which I've done, and, and write about it and play music about it and describe it because so many of the bad decisions we make as a species are because people were raised in a tiny little room mm-hmm. and they have no sense of history and no sense of the rest of the world. And so 
they're so incredibly distorted in their perspective of what's important that they naturally make decisions that are bad for almost everybody else. It's just, it's explicable. And if you can influence any of those people to, to do better with their decision-making, it, it's better for us all. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Are there things that you do now that you're back, you're here on Earth, uh, assuming <laughs> that you're sounds here. so crazy? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you're, you're back on Earth. Are there things that you do or places that you go to um, to remind yourself of that feeling, or is it like is it just ingrained in you now? I I, I sure don't have to deliberately remind myself of it. It it it. I guess it's uh, not it, something it seeps that into me all the time. Yeah. There, there's a million things that remind me of it. You know, I just look up at the sky, or just uh, I walk through the park this morning, or this wristwatch. I this is the watch I wore the whole time I was up there, and I keep the strap loose because uh, all the time I was on the space station, it was like a living snake around my wrist, floating <coughs> floating around, and <laughs> and all I had to do was because I'd be working on an experiment, and you kind of forget you're in space. You're really mentally engaged in something, and get your feet tucked into some little foot restraints, so you're not like floating around. But my watch would be this living uh, garter snake, you know, there permanently. And so my watch, it's the same one woke me up and it woke me up this morning. So to me, it's all the little subtle reminders of the places I've been in life um, that, and, and it, but I don't, I don't spend time looking backwards. To me, it's more like uh, thinking about the, the platform that I'm standing on that allows me to see the view that I see today. I, I'm very grateful for whatever level of the pyramid that I'm standing on. But mostly I'm interested in, in the perspective that it gives me. Mm. Hey, why don't we let the dog in? He'll be quieter. Yeah, so, yeah that's, just let him in. Love dogs. He'll be quiet. He's a good dog. His sound, I've actually, I've been listening to him. <laughs> Those little, little chirps in the background. That's, yeah, that's like Albert. It. Hey, buddy. Uh, uh, little guy. I had a, that's a, that's a good, uh, oh, good doggy break. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, something that, again, this Wikipedia page, I, I, started, in, I started into it the other night. And I, it you was can a, spend it the was rest a, of your life It was a big, dark Wikipedia hole. Yeah. And one of the things I'll that... I'll pick Albert up here. Uh, Albert, it's, it's, it's totally okay. There we go. Oh, little guy. Oh, hi, look at you. There's Albert. Albert's, <laughs> hey, buddy. Albert's, Albert's the star of the next book, the, the kid's book, The Darkest Dark. Albert and I discovered Sweet. Fear of the Dark together. <laughs> hey, Albert, that better? Yeah, yeah, you're going. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that jumped out at me was the uh, possible effect of pressure. If it drops and like the and, you know in the sure. in the most basic way that I can understand that, like the boiling of blood sure. and... All that sure. stuff. If you could talk to that, um, yeah. Uh, so we keep the, we we have complete control over what the pressure inside the spaceship might be. You know, we we regulate that, and and it's kind of a compromise because uh, you want the pressure to be low uh, because then you don't have to bring so much air up with you, and and you don't have to build the seals as strong, but. Uh, you want the pressure to be high because that's what our bodies are designed for, and it's also um, what uh, what all the machinery is designed for. Mm-hmm. Like this microphone and that com- laptop, they've got little fans and pumps, and they're assuming a certain density of air. So the spaceship, we've just decided it's going to be easier if we just sort of keep it uh, at, as if you were here on the surface of the world. That's sort of normal pressure. 
Um, but on the outside, you sure don't have that. And yeah. if you get a leak, then um, your body's okay, like, like climbing up a road, going up into the mountains where the pressure's dropping, or in the back of an airplane where the pressure's dropping. But you get to a certain level and your body stops working right. And that's why on an airliner, uh, you climb and then your ears start popping. And mm-hmm. then they, they pressurize the airplane and hold you at about 8,000 feet or 10,000 feet. That's the pressure they keep. It's right. on, even though you go all the way up to 40,000 feet. And... Um, the people that climb Everest, you have to breathe oxygen, even though it's only 28,000, 29,000 feet up. Uh, only a few very, very amazing people have made it to the top without external oxygen. So there's, the pressure doesn't have to drop very far for us to become non-functional or to even lose consciousness. And on a spaceship, if the pressure drops completely, there's a lot of bad things happen. I mean, mm. your lungs collapse. You won't be able to breathe. Uh, so you'll die of oxygen you know, deprivation pretty quickly. Um, if you get down low enough, uh, the, all of the wet surfaces of your body, like your tongue and, and you know, all the mucous membranes, your uh, part of the eyeball and everything, that water, without the pressure of air to hold it against you, will, will boil off. It, it's, Whoa, yeah, that's which crazy. Is, which is that not, sounds not good. super not comfortable. <laughs> That yeah, makes so and, much sense without the pressure of yeah. air to hold it onto the surface of your body. Right. And also, how are you doing? Alex? You good? All right. <laughs> oh, making himself cozy. comfy. <laughs> uh, also, um, when, you, when you take a can of Coke, right, uh, and you open a can of Coke, it, it's, it's like uh, been slightly pressurized in the factory because it keeps all the little bubbles in solution. As soon as you open it to pressure around here, all those little bubbles that were compressed into the liquid um, come out of the liquid as uh, in fizz, and that's why it's a carbonated beverage. Right. Well, if you take your own body, it's sort of like a can of Coke with a liquid in it, which is your blood, and as soon as you take it to low pressure, then suddenly all the gases that are compressed into your blood at normal pressure start fizzing out, and, and so you'll get a bunch of bubbles in your blood, which is not good. Is that the bends? Is that yeah, the same well, thing so they often they collect in the joints where they have to make a turn, and so you get a collection of of uh, bubbles uh, of nitrogen mostly um, because that's the most the most common gas in the atmosphere. You get bubbles of nitrogen in the joints of your body, and it hurts, oh, and yeah. so you naturally bend over. So they call it the bends. But also, you'll get it in your brain, then it'll kill you. you it, the bubbles if they start getting into the critical well. parts of the brain. So. If you go outside of your spaceship uh, with no spacesuit on, it'll be a race between the blood boiling off your mucous membranes, your lungs collapsing, oh, no. and you're getting the bubbles in your blood until they go into your brain and kill you. But it'll be all over pretty quick. <laughs> Good luck so, to anyone running that race. So, uh, <laughs> like knowing- they'll, they'll like they'll they'll you know name a park after you or something. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be nice. It'll be okay. So knowing knowing all of these things about the human body and all the research that goes into uh, preparing yourself and surviving um, in space. What type of uh, things have we learned from going to space that have that have helped with um, uh, curing or aiding in in disease sure. prevention? Uh, the beauty of of uh, a radical change like weightlessness is that it's almost like. Uh, a terrific uh, laboratory rat or a test tube where you can change one variable that's impossible to change on earth. Like, hey, let's, you know, let's say we wanted to study one of your guys' bodies and, and we wanted to suddenly go to 200 degrees below. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. radically change your body if it goes 200 below here all of a sudden. And, and we probably wouldn't want to do it because it would do a lot of damage to you. But we'd learn a lot about how your body functions uh, as the temperature plummets. The beauty of getting to space is we can suddenly take away 
the main um, uh, data input into your balance system. Gone. You can't do that on the surface. So you can study how the human balance system works. And we've learned a lot from it. So people that, there's a lot of older folks have balance problems. Mm-hmm. People that fall down as you get older, your, your, your sensing system works worse and worse. So it's a way to study uh, how the body reacts to a stimulus that we can't normally remove. S- uh, same thing with gravity, what it does to your blood pressure and how we study blood pressurization. How We're studying osteoporosis right across the board, trying to understand how to combat certain types of osteoporosis. Also, your immune system's depressed up there. We're not really sure why. And so we, uh, we, we look at all that. We have... When you come back from space, you've seen those images of the astronaut come thumping back down to Earth, and then they're carried out of the spaceship like mm-hmm. some horrible victim. It, normally, it's not because you're totally incapacitated. It's just the doctors want to keep you horizontal until they can get you hooked up to all the equipment oh, so that they can preserve the data as long as possible so they can really get as much information as they can you know, from your blood chemistry and all of the readaptation that's going on. And right. And we've learned... Uh, I don't know, countless PhDs worth of information about how the body functions by by taking it through that cycle of short space flights, longer space flights, and now even year-long space flights. Wow. So Sandra Bullock falls <laughs> well, She wasn't out of in space. Wally, was she? <laughs> <laughs> she falls out of space yeah. into the water and yeah. then swims to shore. True yeah. or false? Uh, that was a movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> false. Actually, <laughs> sorry, let me, let me rephrase. Uh, is it possible? To, it plausible or, or busted? Not possible. Yeah, yeah. When, when we were in uh, in Houston and you uh, you were doing the uh, the NBL, is it the NBL? Yeah, the NBL, neutral, yeah, yeah. Lab, neutral, neutral buoyancy, buoyancy lab, lab. Yeah, yeah. Uh, work. You were in the the suit and you came out and you had uh, you had whatever it was like the liquid cooling liquid ventilation cooling garden. ventilation system and the, yeah. and the what are they the hold on. It wasn't called a diaper. It was called a... Uh, Maximum absorbency garment. There you go. That's it. A mag. And when she popped out of her spacesuit when I went to go see Gravity, yeah. I was so angry because I was like, she needs a diaper. Like, where is her, where's and, her diaper? And she wasn't wearing the LCBG. She looked exactly. nice in those she little black look, underwear. She like looked that. very, very nice. Yeah, very, very pretty. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, let's, so it's a two-part answer to your question. Uh, yes. To, to, to come back to Earth after a short space flight and land and be able to walk and swim. Yeah, you can do that. I did that. my first two flights for only a week or two. And you're okay. not perfect, but especially with your eyes open, you can balance. You're okay. Right. But after six months, you're you're it's sort of like getting off a ride that's really spinning hard and, and you get off and everything's just you're dizzy. And so you feel kind of sick because your body says, Why does he suddenly feel all dizzy? You know, what how come suddenly something rapidly changed in, in, in my guy, you know, that your body's mm-hmm. monitoring system is going, he must have eaten something bad. What else could have caused an instantaneous radical change in your perception? You, you, had, you must have swallowed some sort of um, hallucinogen or bad whatever. Mm-hmm. And so your body says, it's killing you. And so it says, throw up right now. Whatever that stuff is, it's not doing out. you any good. Mm-hmm. Get it out of you. And then... Go lie down. Stop. Don't metabolize it so fast. Maybe we can digest the little bit that's still in your gut slow enough that it won't kill you. Because that's been a great evolutionary protection mechanism for the last million years, right? That's how you try. Imagine the first guy who ate a jalapeno. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, how hungry was that guy? Yeah. And, and so we've been trying every single thing that was available and our bodies have been protecting us by making us throw up you know, through history. When you get back to earth, your body just sees it as, as another neurotoxin and says, okay, throw up and lie down. Um, and so it's normal to feel sick when you get back. So, but you can still function. I mean, everyone has felt sick and you can still function. But in Gravity, the rest of that movie was, uh, I mean, it was all Hollywood. They didn't try and be accurate. And it drove me, it wasn't just the fact that she wasn't wearing a diaper, but that there was a lot of, all the technical stuff. There was a lot. So George Clooney floats off into space. (laughs) Does he, does he eventually return to Earth? Does he fall down to Earth? Uh, Or does he keep floating The space station's only a little over 400 kilometers up. And it's it's the (laughs) emptiness, the vacuum of space, but it's not perfect. There's still a few little... Uh, trace molecules of the atmosphere up there. And when you're going around the world, you run into them. You hit them. Right. Just like if you're running down the street and you feel the wind in your face. Mm. Up there, when you're going around the world, there's the tiniest little bit of wind. And it's it's almost nothing, but it's still not nothing. And so it, it slows you down. And so slowly your orbit decays. And Sweet. anything, even the space station, every few months we got to fire the thrusters and, and oh, not okay. push its orbit up a few kilometers because even it, eventually it, it decays down. And, and the closer you get, the thicker the air is and you spiral in and, and, uh, and turn into a meteorite. I'm glad we're going to get him back. <laughs> so yeah, That's all. yeah. Uh, I just want to shift gears a little bit. Um, can you tell us what it's like to uh, walk on the moon? <laughs> no, I, I haven't walked on the moon. I knew, I knew they were fake. I knew the whole time it's no, a conspiracy. No, they're not fake. He just said there's wind in in space. That's why that flag was uh, was waving around. It's we just figured it out right there. So, uh, so uh, uh, be- I know the twelve guys who walked on the moon, or, or I met the twelve guys who walked on the moon. But, uh, but uh, that was you know they walked on the moon when I was eleven years old. Yeah, that was a while. Um, it's crazy and if, that, if that you was doubt so it, long ago. If you doubt it, just get a telescope and you can see the footprints. There you go. I mean, it's it. There's there's, yeah. there's no mystery to it. Uh, you can, you can actually so see the silly. footprints on the moon. You know, is that is that actually true? You can actually see the footprints. Yeah, you can see the footprints on the moon, and the traces of where the lunar rover went, and you can see the vehicle sitting there on the surface, and, and I, just, right because it's such a protected environment. <laughs> well, it's, it's the ultimate desert. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's just it's kind of and my 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 uh, comment on that always. It's way easier to believe something than it is to understand it. Yeah. Because you can believe something with no effort at all. You can be the laziest person in the world and believe something. That's me. But That's if, a yeah, mega truth. But, right but if me. you actually want to, to understand something, you have to do work. And so everybody just, you know, oh, I just believe. Yeah, I heard I heard on TV. I saw on the internet. Yeah. And it just, yeah. it's like crazy. It's like, hey. You Did know. you ever have any ambition uh, to walk on the moon? Like, oh, I still do. I'd love yeah. to walk on the moon. I'd, I'd love to walk on another planet. And, yeah. you know, I, I've done two spacewalks and flown in space three times. And I, I, it's kind of the uh, the end of the tunnel, impossible draw that that shaped my decision making my whole life. Like, if someday someone's going to trust me to walk on the moon, what should I do this weekend? You know, what what? How should I change myself so that I'm a more capable human being so that someday they might pick me? And that's how I got to do the things that I did. You know, I was drawn by the by the uh, lure of the edge of of impossible thing of maybe someday doing that and uh, and that's what really helps a lot of people accomplish anything in their life so are you uh coming out of retirement if they give you the opportunity <laughs> yeah i mean retirement is <laughs> I, 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 yeah i mean I, technical I, retirement yeah. <laughs> well, there's you know how 
how many times did those sports stars retire? I was going to say, Conor, Conor McGregor <laughs> retired, yeah, yeah. and then the next day he, he, he or, was no, back in. Or so. all the boxers, <laughs> or, right. or whatever, or Gordy Howe, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, re- retirement to me is just, hey, I stopped doing that thing for a while. Yeah. That's all. And yeah. No, I would love to. But it's hard. Space space flight is years it's not just the physical stuff we've been talking to but it's incredibly mental mm-hmm. and endlessly demanding and yeah. and also the physical we have to pass just to be trusted to go live on a station because you can't get to a hospital um, and so we want to send people up there who have as little possibility of uh, of having a medical incident as as we can so just passing that <sighs> physical <laughs> I guess that means I can't go <laughs> just passing that physical every year gets harder and harder so, but, but eventually, I mean, there's still lots of medical conditions that keep you from flying on a commercial airliner. You can't get mm-hmm. on an airliner if you have a certain subset right. of medical we conditions. Had a, we had a girl that we were supposed to record with this week and uh, they, they gave her the no fly because yeah. of her liver. So. so it's the same thing on a spaceship. Yeah. It's just our list is longer. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's, it's really the same in any vehicle. You know, you mm-hmm. have to trade off the, the capability of the person or their vulnerabilities versus the environment you're putting them into. Mm-hmm. Eventually, space flight will, be, will have invented stuff to make it more like air travel and more people be able to go. But uh, we're not there yet. And maybe I can, I can read you my, my children's wish that I totally, ah, that I totally bombed. <laughs> I, I screwed up my, my children's wish when I was a kid, oh. and, I, and I won't let it go. I, I could have I hung out with an astronaut. I could have gone to the Olympics. I chose a As shopping a spree. I chose a shopping <laughs> in, in spree Halifax. at the Halifax Shopping Center. <laughs> wow. Wow. Have, have you managed to achieve your wish yet? <laughs> Let's not go there. Uh, so so uh, what do you think of uh, Elon Musk and his, uh, and his Mars, Mars endeavor? Um, uh, Elon is uh, uh, an amazing human being. I mean, he... he he grew up in South Africa. He went to school in, in Kingston. He moved to the Bay Area in the U.S. He invented PayPal, which made him a whole bunch of money. And then yeah. he used that invention and that money to start doing wildly yeah. creative things. Uh, the Tesla car he just came out with, it's like the Model T of this, of this yeah, century. It's beautiful. You know, it, the, when the Model T was built, there weren't roads yeah, that was 1914. I mean, roads were crappy. There wasn't a big gas station distribution. There weren't rules. You didn't need a license, none of that. But a technology drove an entire infrastructure. And the car that he just came out with is kind of right. that, that version of a car, only electric. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he's done in space, I mean, 12 years ago, there was no SpaceX. Or, and he, he invented an entire rocket company. And now he's one of the leading rocket makers in the world. And he landed a rocket back on Earth. So it drops I the know. cost by... 10 or maybe 100 times cheaper now to get to space. And, and the draw that he's put out in front of everybody is, we're going to Mars, yeah. which is sort of like me walking on the moon. Mm. You know, it's really, really hard. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's easy to say, but boy, the details will get you. And, but I, I commend him for it. And he can, he's got the ability to send something to Mars right now. Um, the question is, how much does it cost and how badly do we need that thing to go to Mars? But it doesn't take too much of a leap of faith that you could start sending people. But it, we're nowhere near that yet. But yeah. eventually we'll get there. So I'm all for him. He's you got to have the goals, yeah. I guess. We need. I wish every kid who was born with all of the the drive and the mental horsepower of Elon Musk. I wish every single kid in the world that was born that way had been nurtured like he was, because most of them don't get the education and don't get the food in order to get them to a level where they can take advantage of what they were born with. Mm, and, yeah. and we really got to, 
keep working hard to try and raise the standard of living for as many people as possible because we need every Elon Musk that we produce. Yeah, yeah. true. Oh, yeah. I think it's really cool the work that you're doing, and, and especially with you know you have a children's book coming out soon. Uh, I do, Albert and I. Oh, really? Yeah. Albert's a part of it. Albert, it's called the Darkest Dark. We just, I thought, you know, a lot of kids are afraid of things, and mm. a lot of the things you choose to do in life, or more importantly, you choose not to do in life, are because of some sort of fear, right? Some mm-hmm. sort of unspoken fear, and uh, and so we thought it would be good to do a, a book. It, it's uh, called the Darkest Dark about fear of the dark, but it's really just. Uh, addressing the idea of childhood fear, and Albert and I go through a whole thing of the darkest dark. And, when can uh, we expect that? Uh, it's coming out in, in the fall, in uh, this fall of sixteen. Should be out in September. Awesome. And it's it's I, uh, it, I came, there's two uh, a Toronto-based artists named uh, the Fan Brothers, Eric and Terry Fan, and they they uh, this their the first cooperative book they've done, and they just did a brilliant job. I'm really really Sweet. pleased with how it came out. Yeah. Very very cool. Um, usually when we we speak to these uh, to our guests who are living with illness, we um, we always ask them what's the most embarrassing exp- um, uh, experience you've had hmm. in dealing with your illness. And I'm wondering if you, uh, I know we have to wrap it up. You're flying to China today. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap it up, my I guess our last question is: Do you do you, did you have or or can you recall? Any embarrassing moments that you had, whether it was here on Earth in your training or maybe even up in space uh, on the ISS? Oh, gosh. Most embarrassing moment. Uh, Embarrassing sort of a state of mind, right? It's like, (laughs) how much much do you really care? (laughs) Um, My first flight, the, the commander of the space shuttle was a guy named Ken Cameron. And uh and nice guy, great, capable guy, U.S. Marine. Second flight, it was my commander was a guy named Kent Rominger, and uh, but everyone called him Rommel for whatever reason. That was his Navy call sign, Rommel. And I was doing a national uh, news interview, might have been with Peter Mansbridge, I don't know, but some sort of national news interview live from the space station with Kent Rominger next to me. But for the last ten years, I'd called him nothing but Rommel because I hadn't thought of his real name because he went by his nickname, right? And I'm just about to say his name, and I'm thinking, what is his name? Anyway, he's the commander of my spaceship. Oh, no. I should probably know his name. Oh, no. And and so for whatever reason, uh, my brain went back uh, eight years, and I introduced the commander of my spaceship by the wrong name. I said, this is Ken Cameron. Oh, no. And Kent looked at me and <laughs> nope, like, that's not no, my name. No, that's not my name. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, stupid. Oh, well. Yeah, I, really, I know his name. Real, cohes- <laughs> real cohesive unit up there on the ISS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've just met. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, man, sorry. I just didn't think Rommel was the name I wanted to put out for you either. But oh, well. That's pretty embarrassing. Like when you're listening to uh, yeah. a hockey player give an interview, interview and they're like, oh, yeah, Tilsey over there was doing real well. And you're like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I have Tilsey. no idea who Tilsey is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, this was uh, this was awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for for allowing us to come to your your beautiful office and and uh, thanks and meet your your beautiful, beautiful little dog. dog. He and is awesome. One thing to think about is um, I went to uh, a, a memorial service for astronauts. There's a, there's a grove of trees at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. Uh, for every astronaut who's died, they've they've planted one of the acacia kind of trees there. It's nice and it's a thoughtful place to go. And um, they they planted some for guys who had died years ago at some point, sort of catch up, including one of the uh, Apollo uh, Apollo thirteen guys. I was standing in for his family, and and the ceremony was going on. And they'd put out a pamphlet, and it had listed what had killed all the astronauts. They listed all the astronauts had died who had died, and they just put you know cause of death mm-hmm. on the right side. And so I'm standing there, you know, for a couple hours. I thought, I'll read the pamphlet. And it was kind of interesting 
to me, sort of a, a, a overview effect to stand there and mm. think, okay, what do, what do people of my profession die of? You know, mm. what, what kills us? And, and I went down the list and half of them had been killed in airplane accidents since they'd flown in space. Whoa. So I thought, okay, wow. well, if I can avoid crashing an airplane, that improves my chances of living a full <laughs> life uh, right to the end. So it, that kind of changed my perspective a little of, you know, I used to be a really top test pilot, but that's, you know, I need to be a little more realistic about how current I am and, and mm. I'm getting older. So that was a good reality check. But almost every other astronaut had been killed by cancer. Almost all of them, mm-hmm. because we're we're you know sort of healthy people. We take care of our bodies, just kind of center a part of who we are. But uh, so eventually, something kills us all, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it was just intriguing to me to think that, huh? That's that's what so far. If you if you wait long enough, eventually we'll all die of cancer, I guess. But. Um, it was intriguing to me to see the reality of my life and and recognize that hey it, you know i'm going to die of something and, and the real key of course is what do you do while you're alive and try and optimize your chances accept the fact that none of this lasts forever try and make the absolute most of what you've got and uh, and avoid the things that that you possibly can and it's amazing where life can lead that's such Boom. a powerful message yeah, mike absolutely mike drop drop right there <laughs> all right <laughs> Uh, nice to talk to you guys. Yeah, so, so great. So much, Thank you so much, Chris. Take care. Be well. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. We sat down with Chris. He dropped some knowledge whole bunch of fascinating stuff in there how about that blood boiling stuff dude my god that, all that pressure stuff that is sounds, just absolutely fascinating how everything awful everything goes up to your or just the idea that your heart can't figure out that it isn't on earth anymore so it just keeps pumping blood up to your face and your upper body and your head and everything it's just absolutely i know that's boring. crazy because i would absolutely love to go to space but I would absolutely not love to have my blood boil and my skin just melt. Nah. I mean, if there's any way to go, that's probably yeah. not the way. Well, but that was the other—that was the other thing that he said, and I want to just touch on this: is that you know, one of the one of the dude just just to hear that man sit there and say, you know, we're all going to die of something. I mean, if we lived long enough, we're all we would all die of cancer, and and to like. You know, we were talking about the, the overview effect, going around the world so many times and how that changes your perspective on, on, on life and on, on you know, life and death. And Chris admitting that his overview effect was the time that he was in a graveyard and just saw all of these headstones and knowing that, you know, a high majority of those, those astronauts or those, you know, fighter pilots died from cancer. But yeah, and, and, and even like remove astronaut from that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, just like human. occupation, right? Yeah, and human, yeah. just human. Right? He kind of, he kind of inadvertently hit the nail on the head with what our podcast is trying to do. Exactly, right? uh, that we are all going, we're all going out at some time, and this fear of death that that grips us and prevents us from living, you know, the life that we want to live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out there for you to take it. Just accept that time is limited, and take advantage. Like it was amazing that he that he hit on that and that that inadvertent you know just driving home the 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 point of our podcast. Yeah, and I think the I think honestly the biggest message if you're going to take something from this conversation is if you haven't watched Wally, 
what is wrong with you? I still haven't seen it yet. And Dude. that was like, oh, you haven't ago. seen it? That was like it? a week and a half ago. Oh, yeah. my God. You guys, you guys are, you guys are missing out. <laughs> I'll get on it. I watched uh, Deadpool on the plane home. Uh, thank you all so much for listening this week. Um, it was, that was really fantastic. And I'm glad you got to join us um, for that conversation. If, again, you're listening for the first time, uh, take some time. Go check out some of our past episodes. We, we've had some super fascinating conversations that were just as fascinating as that one with an astronaut, uh, with everyday people who are living with uh, a whole plethora of different diseases, and they're all really funny. At least I think they're funny. I don't know. I think you guys are funny. <laughs> I, so. I, think, yeah. I think they are. Jared, yeah. if uh, you could recommend one episode for them to go and listen to right now, what would it be? Oh, Phimosis, for sure. Ooh, and we'll just leave that as a cliffhanger if you don't know what Phimosis <laughs> is. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you tune in next week. Uh, we have some fun content on the way. And uh, Oh, hey, rate, review, subscribe, subscribe, all that stuff over on iTunes, super important. Uh, also, if you want to see some really sweet stuff, like maybe a, uh, some footage of our interview with Chris Hadfield, head on over to our Facebook page, uh, check us out on Instagram, and uh, we're also on Twitter. We love each and every one of you, and as always, I'm Brian, I'm Taylor, and I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.